Hello, I'm Scott Sostrom. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the Sportacast. Oh, you blew it. You blew it. You're listening to the MLS Sportacast. You had a real opportunity for like, you know, in-game announcer there. <laughs> well, this is a good uh, a good dive right in here, Scott. Uh, we're recording just a few hours after Sportico published MLS valuations. We've done and talked about NFL on the podcast, NBA on the podcast. We did Major League Baseball. We did European soccer. Kurt Badenhausen has gotten his way along to MLS and some big numbers. I think numbers that might surprise some people and might uh, might might evoke some questions from others. Uh, you, I'll, I'll let you go through the top and the bottom here. No, I'll let you go through the top and the bottom. I just want to point out that, you know, the cartoons when something happens and like you get inside the mind and the, and the eyes get really big and you're like, it's like what? That That's what I felt like because uh, we have multiple teams led by LAFC more than $800 million. Now, to put that in perspective, Eben, I mean, we're, we're obviously not the top, top of the food chain of the Premier League, you know, the Manchester United of the world. But you can make the case that these MLS teams are now worth more than your sort of average EPL team, which is really saying something. Yeah, so I'll give some numbers, and then I'll jump right into that. As you said, LAFC, top of the list here, $860 million. There's two other teams uh, valued at over $800 million. That's Atlanta United at 845 and the LA Galaxy at 835 If you go to the way bottom of the list, uh, there's a few franchises valued below $400 million. Those are the Vancouver Whitecaps at 385 Montreal at 380 and the Colorado Rapids, the lowest number here at 370 And you're right, if you look at the Average valuation here, according to Sportico, $550 million for the average valuation on an MLS team. That is more valuable than every EPL team besides the big six uh, over in England. So some numbers that I think are going to elicit questions, and I'll ask the first one to you. These clubs are not better than those clubs in England, um, and they're probably not globally more popular. What is it that makes the average MLS team worth more than a club like Everton or a club like West Ham over in London? Yeah, well, first of all, there's less risk. There's no relegation, which is very important. Uh, If you had a system of relegation in MLS, the values of those clubs would go down. There's just too much risk and people would not be willing to pay $500 million uh, and then get booted and lose uh, on any sort of serious media revenue like they do in the EPL. But I will tell you, Eben, I've had this conversation with several sports bankers, including one who for years was asked by his clients, should I get in on MLS? And he told them no because he couldn't justify it. He was like, well, the revenues are this. It, It just doesn't make sense. And this banker said to me the other day, I should have been telling them yes. And that said, he still couldn't give the solid underpinnings as to why the mushrooming valuations on all these teams. Because if we want to look at the NFL and you want to look at the NBA, I'll let you answer. What's the number one revenue stream? If I'm going to own one of those clubs, what do I look at and say, this is where the money's coming from? I know this one. That's TV media, Scott. There you go. TV media. Now, MLS is negotiating 
a new media contract, new broadcast contracts. That may be uh, linear, it may be uh, digital, but they are negotiating. So the question I have is, are prospective investors looking at the appetite for content these days, uh, seeing what the NHL just did with its enhancement, seeing what the NFL did with its huge rights deal, and saying, well, maybe MLS is next in line and I want to get in on the party. That's at least a question you have to ask. Absent the media, you look at these teams as real estate plays, accelerators, sort of all the properties and say, where does the value come from? And I'm not sure we have a good answer right now. Yeah, and, and it's one of the things I took away from Kurt's story, which is really fascinating for people who want to really dive into this. The 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 upcoming rights negotiation that MLS is going through right now is honestly it's critical from a from a perception and, and a little bit from a revenue standpoint, but it's not going to be the end all be all here for these for these teams. It's a ninety million dollar contract right now, I believe. Part of that money goes to the national teams because MLS sold alongside U.S. soccer in the last negotiations. It's not going to happen this time. But let's say about sixty million of that. For just for the sake of this argument, let's say sixty million of that goes to MLS. You divide that up by thirty teams. The the, the TV contract right now here in the U.S. is worth two million dollars a year to these teams. Even if that doubles, right or triples, in in the absolute best case scenario, I think for Major League Soccer, we're still not talking huge dollar figures here. I think MLS will continue to be for a while at least a league, even if the the, the negotiations with TV goes crazy. I think MLS will continue to be a ticket and a subscription driven league at least for the near future. That may be different in in the long term, but I think at least for now. That's the reality for, for MLS, and it's not like it's not working. Right. Well, bankers were also telling prospective clients, well, they said, oh, I want to own a team. Okay, well, let's look around. Can you afford the NFL? No. Can you afford the NBA? No. Uh, part of the appeal, I mean, let, let's face it, part of the appeal was the price point for entry. You could get a club for lower numbers. Now, yet in perspective, the NFL and NBA, yeah, it's still a deal. But the fact remains now, if we're talking $850 million to get a team, that ain't chump change, Novi Williams. You know, you have to say, well, am I better off buying into the bottom of MLS and sharing and seeing where the league goes and, and sharing all the growth? And you're, you're sort of waning on options of how can I become a pro sports team owner without spending incredible sums of money? Another number that bankers pay attention to, and, and I think is actually very illuminating, if you look at the revenue multiplier for these valuations, the average NFL team is valued about six times revenue, average NBA team, 7.8 times revenue, Major League Baseball, 6.8 times revenue, the average MLS team valued at 12 times revenue, uh, more than double what you see in the NFL. Those are numbers I feel like I see on tech unicorns the you know the facebooks and the ubers of the world when they are in kind of when they still don't even yeah, when, they, when by the way when they've shown no revenue or, or exactly. at least no profit right yeah, yeah and i think that th those numbers really show you how the people who are buying into MLS, when we see these valuations and transactions, these are people who are looking at the long-term growth horizon and really expecting these clubs to be making a bit more revenue in the future than they are making right now. Yeah, clearly. You're betting on sports. You're betting on sports. Soccer is the most popular sport and game in the world. You can see the Americans have an appetite for it. You saw the numbers of the uh, Euro final 
you know, almost 7 million people watching. So the appetite for top soccer is here. You wonder, uh, is there a Liga MX merger? What does that do, especially with the number of Hispanics in the U.S. and the people who might watch the games? Uh, Are we getting to a point, if you're getting well, uh, deep-pocketed investors for MLS, will you start making bids for well-known players in their prime? You know, you're looking down the road and saying, you're, you're really trying to extrapolate everything that's going on now and looking down the road and saying, uh, is, is this a good investment for 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Because it, it, isn't, it hasn't been around as long as the NBA. People forget that. I mean, it's not brand new anymore, but it certainly doesn't have the timeline of the established leagues. I was at the event in New York City, Scott, um, maybe 2013, maybe 2014, when Don Garber, commissioner of Major League Soccer, announced that his plan was to make Major League Soccer one of the best soccer leagues in the world by 2022, kind of trying to put it on par with leagues we see in France and Italy and Germany, et cetera. Um, I'm not sure if this is where MLS is right now from a competitive standpoint is necessarily exactly what he meant when he was hoping to get to by 2022, but I would imagine the valuations might be. I think if you had told Don Garber in 2013 or 2014, hey, when, when a, sport, a publication called Sportico, uh, which doesn't exist right now, when they do their valuations in 2021, we're going to have some teams here in the $800 million range. Sign I me think up, that would be says. exactly the growth he wants. Exactly. Sign exactly. me up. Yep, yep. Well, one thing that happens with these valuations and sometimes limited partners and especially coming out of COVID, you need an infusion of capital. Normally, you went to banks for that but not necessarily anymore. You can go to private equity groups uh, and Aries Management, one of those groups, a one and a Mm. half billion dollar fund to spread money around the sports scene. They've already done it. You know, we've seen some of the money, about a billion dollars over the past six months. Uh, Some of those investments were made at Electrical Madrid, the San Diego Padres. Um, But you're looking now, is it just different sources of capital? And Aries is one of them. You know the folks behind Tony Ressler being, being one of them, right? So um, you've got pro sports owners and Bennett Rosenthal of LAFC. So he's number one on this list now. But you've got you've got these <laughs> folks now looking at pro sports differently in how can we put capital work across the spectrum of pro sports as LP, limited partners, small stakeholders. How can we not only help teams that need capital infusion, but get a great return? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about Aries here is they're doing kind of two things. The, the the traditional private equity investing, which there are so many folks out there looking at in the sports world right now. They've invested, as you said, Atletico Madrid over in over in Spain, McLaren Racing, the F1 team. They're also doing debt financing. They're, they're doing loans. Um, the Padres was a loan. I believe they've lent money to the Senators, uh, PFL, the Professional Fight League, Rugby Australia. They're doing kind of two different types of transaction here, all kind of under the same banner, which gives them two different types of opportunities depending on the way the teams out there who are looking for a capital infusion, the way they want to structure things, gives Aries kind of two, two entry points here. The news here that you guys broke this week, Scott, they're raising $1.5 billion. Uh, they're kicking in, it seems like, about $100 million of their own and then looking for maybe some outside money uh, to fill that out. I think that we are, if we're not, we're not there quite yet, but I think we're very close to every major U.S. league outside of maybe the NFL 
allowing changing their rules to let private equity folks invest in minority stakes and teams. We've already seen the NBA has made that route and, and a number of teams have taken it. Do you agree that at some point soon, this is just going to kind of be open season, maybe outside of the NFL for, for PE firms like Aries? Yeah, well, take a look. You've got Dial, Sixth Street, Arctos, yeah, all making investments already for different reasons. Obviously, COVID was an accelerator, which is why the NBA opened it up to this new sort of uh, source of capital. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's definitely going to be uh, opened up. And uh, again, you're looking at it's sports. You know, you, everybody here in this space believes that sports is a good investment. So it, it bodes well, and you, you just wonder whether how much of this was COVID and LPs needing money or, you know, capital costs, things like that. And how much is the asset valuation? You know, that the, the numbers are so high that folks want to take money off the table, um, and, and whether it be LPs or even general partners, just take a little money off the table with the numbers so high. I mean, it's, it's just good business. And speaking of taking money off the table, the transition here, uh, Spring Hill Entertainment, the production company launched by LeBron James and company, apparently in the market right now to sell a minority stake, maybe multiple minority stakes. It sounds like they're talking to Nike. Valuation here, Scott, around $700 million. Not a sports team, but again, something sports adjacent, obviously has sports connections uh, for a company looking to take money off the table. Yeah, LeBron's doing pretty well for himself. Huh? LeBron and Mav Carter has re- have really built a nice little media empire Not there. Not too shabby. Yeah. No IP there, but they've certainly been involved in some in some good projects uh, across the spectrum, by the way, of media. And here we go again with media, right? Media driving. I think people are taking a look at what Amazon has been able to do in terms of e-commerce and broadcasting, uh, whether, whether it's sports related or not, the, the ability to drive e-commerce. And they're saying, how do I get in on that? Like what, what sorts of things can I, can I broadcast or can I put out there and tie it to some sort of e-commerce play? Um, that, that's what I think this is, this is all about. But I, again, I, I take it back to Rich Paul, Mav Carter, and LeBron. Boy, I remember years ago, the big story was like LeBron and the Hummer. Like, remember, I don't, you may be too young with but just silly stuff about whether he's going to lose his eligibility and just this to, to see overall like let's look at the body of work of what LeBron James has accomplished not only on the court as a basketball player because I thought it would have been impossible to live up to the hype you know chosen one and all that on Sports Illustrated cover but I think he surpassed the hype as a basketball player and then you look at what he has created in terms of equity in his businesses entertainment and media the the uh, the philanthropy with the school he created in Akron. I mean, if you take a holistic view of what LeBron James has done, the social justice, it's absolutely remarkable and probably a blueprint for superstars to follow. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't want to just be endorsed by Pizza Hut. He wants to own equity in Ann Pizza and be a franchisee. He doesn't want to just well, be that's an athlete. Bla- that, he that's wants Blaze, to own- right? There's Blaze yeah. Pizza. Yeah. Sorry, Blaze Pizza, not Ann Pizza. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't yeah. want to be just an athlete. He wants to own equity in in Fenway Sports Group. And 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 here, he doesn't want to just be an actor. He wants to own a production company. And the Space Jam New Legacy, the, the Space Jam sequel of sorts that he's starring in, that is a Spring Hill production. They're doing stuff with Netflix. They're doing stuff... Um, with new line, so yeah, plat- platform agnostic. Here. 
That's what I love with Absolutely. LeBron. Yeah, he's platform agnostic. Yeah. He's like, we'll create great content. You tell me who wants it. They bid on it. We'll figure it out and we'll promote it together. And then you see what with this great content and these great distribution streams, what else can we do? So I'll put you on the spot here. You mentioned there's no IP. Uh, th- this is a company that's as good as its next project and its connections through LeBron. If I gave you $750 million and told you you had to either take over and buy Spring Hill or buy the Seattle Sounders, the I fourth most valuable gonna team in Major that. League I Soccer. I knew you were going to say that. Where is Scott Soshnick putting his money? Uh, right now, sorry to uh, to the folks in Seattle. And what is that? Drew Carey? He's one of the owners there, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> yes, sorry yeah. to Drew. But uh, I'm riding with LeBron. Like uh, he, He's created quite a web of uh, interconnected businesses global brand that is not going away. Look at Michael Jordan, what he still does post basketball. Uh, That is not going away when LeBron is finished. And not only that, but look at the folks who LeBron has surrounded himself with and is in business with. If I know moving forward, hey, I can pivot left and and I'm with Netflix, right? Hey, Reed Hastings, can I get you on line one? Yes. Pivot right. Hey, John Henry, question about you know investing. Can I get you on line two? The answer is yes for LeBron James, no matter who that is. Like, no matter who that is, the answer is yes for LeBron James. I will ride shotgun any day with that. Moving around the NBA, we're in the middle of the NBA Finals, Scott. The Phoenix Suns and Milwaukee Bucks uh, locked in a tight one. Uh, They're also competing off the field to a degree. You sat this week uh, earlier uh, on Thursday, or sorry, on on, on Wednesday, with the Suns president, Jason Rowley, Bucks president, Peter Fagan. Give us some highlights from that discussion uh, as their teams kind of battle it out on the court. What are they talking about off the court? Yeah, it's really fun when you deal with the executives because the competition is so stiff on the court, but you do realize this is one of those rising tides floats all boats, right? Uh, The NBA, we had a good discussion about the NBA and its Team Bo team, team and business operations, and how they really look to share best practices across and does what works in Milwaukee, does it work in Arizona? But the answer on a large scale is yes, a a lot of it does. But everybody's sort of eyeing, how do I keep my customers happy uh, you have a new building, fairly new building in Milwaukee and Pfizer Forum. You've got a renovated building in Arizona. Both were, t- both were talking about sort of data collection of customers. What do they want in the in-game experience? How do you generate an, or create an arena that's going to act as a cash register and spit dollars out? Um, it, it's interesting. In Arizona, they've created these large public spaces. Like right before COVID, the plans were for these large almost open bar spaces that where you could still see the court. Then COVID hit you like, oh no, like are people really going to want to be together like that? The answer is yes. What we've seen is they've come roaring back in both. You've got the international component of it all. Of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo in in Milwaukee. Um, But both these brands are seeing a a steroid kick in, in the business drive of everything. Every metric is going up because they have this two plus week period where they are in the global eye. And I don't think too many people saw Phoenix and Milwaukee coming, right? So uh, both guys have, uh, they have not had a chance to really take a breath. They're just trying to see how they can capitalize now and more importantly, have a halo effect that will last far beyond just this season. 
Yeah, this is such a, a rare NBA matchup. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but this is like the first NBA championship in the past 15 or 20 years that didn't have LeBron, Steph, or Kobe in it. It's something like that. We are used to seeing the absolute biggest stars on the absolute biggest teams in the NBA finals each and every year. And by virtue of these teams being extremely good and, and, and a few injuries kind of sprinkled in there, we're ending up with a with an NBA finals that I don't think anybody would have predicted. Um, I do wonder if kind of the, the economic impact all told on the league is maybe a little bit lower given that let's face it the Suns and Bucks aren't the most followed or most popular teams in the league um, but I do know there's a subset of fans and I think you and I might both be included that are just intrigued and happy to see a team like the Suns led by Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker uh, who's a future star that I think a lot of people maybe haven't paid attention to I think it's just nice to see new blood in the NBA finals even if it isn't going to draw the, the biggest ratings for game four. Yeah, and you never look at it as a one-off. Obviously, you know the network that has that it's showing it wants to have the most number of people, but nobody views these contracts. That's why they're long-term deals. You know, you believe in the property, you don't. Yeah, just because you have these two teams this year, and you and I have discussed ad nauseum, it's not about uh, so much which teams; it's about how long the series goes. So we, we you don't want a four game sweep. You don't want five games. That that's the worst. If you can get seven games, give me seven games of Bucks and Suns over a sweep of the Lakers and name your team. It doesn't matter. T- any TV executive will tell you that. But you know who who knows all about this stuff, and that's Mr. Adam Silver, the Commissioner of the NBA. And we want to thank Adam because he penned a guest op ed for Sportico on why sports matter more now than ever. Did I say that right? Was that the correct wording there? Was it now more than ever? I, I couldn't tell. Was... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The yeah, headline. It, but, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, it, great of Adam to do it. Uh, one of the brightest guys uh, on the global sports business stage. But Adam makes the point that, that, that time without sport and time without fans, you missed it. I, I mean, it really... It really was noticeable, not only just for basketball fans, but around the world. And the packed houses are now appreciated. And by the way, also messengers. It it was sort of that signal, according to Adam, of, you know what? Go get vaccinated. This is the road back because look, look at what we're doing. We have these jam-packed arenas. You know why we do? Because people have gotten vaccinated. And at least for now, we'll see what happens with this Delta variant. But for now... Um, it, it's sort of medicine one, uh, virus zero in, in this rebound, whether that stays that way, who knows, but Adam made all those points in the op-ed on Sportico and we certainly encourage folks to go check it out. I got to experience some of that uh, for folks who listened to the show earlier in, in the week. Um, I went to my first sporting event post-COVID uh, at Fenway Park uh, this week and shout out to Emily and I. Boy, did you blow it. Boy, did you who, blow it. Don't put this on me. This was you both of us. blew it. I wasn't <laughs> thinking. I wasn't just at Fenway Park. I haven't been there in a long time. I can tell we you what really they do at Yankee Stadium. Our Fenway Park ignorance with the conversation around Sweet Muddy Caroline, waters. Which is, we muddied the waters. <laughs> always played in the eighth inning, apparently. Uh, news to me, not the seventh and not after the game. Um, and yeah, Muddy Water is the uh, is the victory song that they play in Fenway, which I did hear also uh, at the end of the uh, end of the ninth inning. Scott, before we go real quick, that Adam Silver op-ed you're talking about was the first thing that we published under a paywall for folks who have been listening to us from the beginning and have been following the Sportico journey. Give us a quick update on what that means for our fans out there and, and, and what it means for the podcast moving forward. Well, for folks who listen to the Sportacast, nothing changes. You'll still be able to download, download you know, the show as is, where it is, all your spots. That That's fine. 
Uh, there were there are some changes as you've, you've probably seen paywalls with with other sites. Uh, you get a certain metered paywall where a few articles might be free. Certain content will be out front. But what we aim to do here at Sportico is create a global sports business community of thought leaders, and we think this paywall will help us to do that. Uh, we, we can we can really focus on on the data, on the analysis, on the exclusive, on the breaking news all the things that we think make Sportico special. So we do encourage you to go check it out at sportico.com. Um, sample some of the stuff. And if you like what you see, please join our community. We are happy to have you. There you go. Podcasts will be free still. Newsletters will be free. Some stories will be outside the paywall. And then a bulk of the written stuff will be for subscribers only. Scott, that wraps it up for us. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been another recording of the Sportacast, the flagship show in what will be the Sportico Podcast Network. I'm Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. He's Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can follow the show at Sportacast and you can download it wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.